Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 81. The Inevitable Tension. Going Deep versus Spreading Wide. Melvin McLeod, editor-in-chief of the Shambhala Sun and Buddha Dharma magazines, concludes his conversation with us, this time discussing the inevitable tension that arises in Buddhist media between spreading wide on the one hand and going deep on the other. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. Yeah, Melvin, have you found that that adds something unique to the Western Dharma, that that this sort of thing is actually happening here? Because I don't think that's happened in any other culture, has it? With uh, the tradition where all these traditions come together and then not only that, that they're being presented in one publication, you know, for people to experience. I mean, I think this has been widely noted. I think uh, going back to uh, Joseph Goldstein's book, One Dharma, of a number of years mm-hmm. ago, that, that one of the things that is unique about Buddhism in the West is that for the first time, there is this sort of simultaneous availability of, of the teachings of a number of traditions. I've, I've I have no personal experience of being any other kind of Buddhist, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, so this seems completely natural to me as a Westerner, but I guess if one does look at the other traditional Buddhist countries, that there obviously is some communication that takes place, but, but, but pretty much each tradition is, is self-contained. Right, right. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the potential trap is that one simply become a spiritual shopper who picks and chooses among the different traditions mm-hmm. uh, in order to create a, a uh, you know, personalized dharma that fits one's own proclivities. And of course, the very purpose of the dharma <laughs> is that it not fit your p- proclivities, also known as ego. So, I mean, I think the, the, the trap is that one does not make the kind of, in the end, make the kind of commitment to a single tradition that in the end is really going to challenge ego. By, by remaining floating above and picking and choosing, I think that, that uh, you can create a, a kind of uh, a Buddhism that, or apparent Buddhism that could be a very comfortable nest for ego. Right. Yeah, th- this was a question I've, I've been wondering about, too. Um, reading uh, Thomas Tweed's work on, on nightstand Buddhists, his kind of sociological examination of American Buddhism, and he, he called nightstand Buddhists those Buddhists that, you know, they have a they have a book of like the three pillars of Zen on their nightstand and they, every once in a while they'll do some Zazen. Um, but they're not particular. they wouldn't necessarily call themselves Buddhists and they probably haven't really gone into the depth and, uh, and the, uh, just the vastness of those teachings. And like you say, that, that, that creates a kind of trap. And I'm wondering, because you guys are a, a broad outlet for this sort of thing and, and you know, Instead of three pillars of Zen, someone could certainly have Shambhala Sun or Tricycle on their nightstand, and I suspect that's that's something you guys have to deal with a lot. Is you know, are people using this just to enhance their identity in some way, or are they using it to really deconstruct that identity and, and find out what's beneath identity? Well, I suppose I I, I think the thing is that I, I don't think I could put either of them down. I mean, I think that. I think the person is, who's got the three pillars of Zen on their night table and is looking at it, that's where they're at, and that's fine, and that's better than not having the three pillars of Zen there. And I don't think what we can't do is tell them, no, 
you know, you're doing a bad job and you have to go deeper into it. I, I, I think that we are certainly in the Shambhala Sun. Um, we we do our best to provide entry points and and material that will be immediately helpful to somebody's and somebody in their life, no matter whether they call themselves a committed Buddhist or they go to a Buddhist center or or what. Uh, if if just reading the article is all they do, and that's a help to them, I'm I'm happy with that. I really am. At the same time, the uh, the key is that that article itself should have a profound quality to it. Right. If, if it's genuine dharma, and if it itself has got some challenge in them to their ego, then that's fine. The real problem becomes when that one article they read basically is some form of, of what Chogun Trumper calls spiritual or emotional materialism. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we've, we've often played with a metaphor of a, a funnel on this show and, and talked about uh, marketing the Dharma in terms of uh, a funnel. I don't know if it holds up, but it seems like it, it works some of the time where you imagine this funnel and you have people on the wide end that are, you know, they're picking up uh, maybe publications or they hear something even in the mainstream media about the Dalai Lama, and they're kind of being exposed to, to the Buddhist uh, philosophy and teachings, you know, no matter how superficial or not. And then, you know, that, that's the spark. And, and if they really connect to it and they find value in it, like you say, if they read an article and they're like, wow, this is really important. And then they, they find themselves kind of falling in, you know, down the funnel like water would and, and going deeper and deeper. And then, and then, but some don't. And it seems like that's just a natural thing. Well, not only that, I mean, I think it has, we have to approach it from the point of view that that's okay. I mean, I think this is something that, that a lot of Buddhist communities also uh, deal with when they say, well, people will come and they'll learn meditation, uh, but they'll leave and they won't come back and they won't become members. Right. And I think it's important to say that that's also okay. If they've come and they've learned meditation and they've gone off, then that's fine in and of itself. And so I think, in a way, we could hope that people will come and, and read something in the Shambhala Sun. It'll draw them into a, a deeper and deeper interest and, and practice of Buddhism. But if all it does is help them in and of itself and they don't go any further with it, then that also is a contribution. And I don't think we should feel that either we or they have failed in that case. Right, right. That's a great point. And it kind of uh, it gets even more interesting when, when you take into account the economic structures that we're here, that we operate within, and and that the fact that you know these people actually are supporting the found Buddhism as a institution of sorts, and mm-hmm. um, you know the, the people that just pick up one of your magazines or, or and, and but they don't really come back like they do support somewhat financially what you guys are up to and allow you to continue to offer that, and so it's it's really interesting. And the people that come to a center, you know, they likewise they might give a little donation, support the teacher, uh, and I guess where it gets kind of tricky is. Uh, I, or I could see it getting tricky as if, you know, these Buddhist centers or our publications, or, you know, ourselves too, as Buddhist geeks, like we, we don't really make that much money. We, you know, we certainly want to attract more people sometimes because, you know, that would support us financially. But we, we don't know where the line is of watering, you know, making accessible versus watering down in the hopes of bringing in, you know, money. And so that's, I'm wondering what, you, what your thoughts are on that. And I'm sure you guys have had to deal a lot with that as well. Uh, yes, undoubtedly, it's a, it's an important question. Uh, I don't think we've ever been tempted to water down the Dharma to make money. I think the only place where we face uh, challenges is that the newsstand sales of any magazine are 
highly dependent on the cover image and that if we put uh, the Dalai Lama or Thich Nhat Hanh or Pema Chodron's uh, photograph on our cover, we'll sell quite a few more magazines. And so there's obviously a connection you know, between content and uh, sales and then uh, making, making money and surviving. Um, I look at it more that I don't ever really feel that we sold out. Bosons, I'm the one defining whether we sell. <laughs> it's a completely circular logic. Nonetheless, what I look at it more as uh, is having a, a kind of porous membrane where you know the divisions, the uh, the distinction between ego and non-ego, between pure dharma and and, and spiritual materialism are are porous and and hard to define. I mean, I think. We all have come to the Dharma initially for uh, mixed motives that, that have ego involved in them. I can certainly speak from personal experience that many of us still do. And so I think that there are, are certain kinds of material you can present to people that are uh, an amalgam of things that are profound Dharma and other things that are simply helpful to them in their day-to-day lives in a, in a real way, not in a destructive way, but if, if we can provide some material that's straightforwardly helpful to people in their personal relationships uh, without being the most profound dharma in the world, I, I think that's okay. And uh, it becomes that, that, that top end of the wide funnel that you were talking about. Right. I, I think that uh, I certainly don't believe we can be... Um, you know, purer than pure and holier than holy. Otherwise, we condemn Buddhism to be a very uh, tiny uh, sort of elite cadre. Um, On the other hand, I don't believe that all that we should be concerned about is getting the most people to do something that they would call Buddhism either. Um, I know that the Japanese teacher, Edo Roshi, has had a strong effect on me on this question. Because he pointed out uh, when I was talking with him and talking as I was at the time more about you know, how we can get Buddhism out into the broader society, and he made the point that it was probably a project of at least hundreds of years before the, the full depth of genuine Buddhism would be established in the West. And there's always a, a tension between going deep and going wide. Right. And you can do both, but there are trade-offs involved, and I would have to say that he helped me to see that the deep, the building of uh, genuine, strong foundations for Buddhism in the West should be emphasized more than I had been, as opposed to the, the, the dissemination or the widening side. So I think we need to do both. And I guess you could argue that our magazine, Buddha Dharma, is devoted to the deepening side. Right, right the building of the solid foundations and that the sun is, is more at the widening side. But I think if we go with the extreme of either, we're in trouble. If we go completely to the widening side, you all you have to sell out by definition. That's what complete widening is. Right. And the, the converse is that if you go completely to the deepening side, uh, you, you're condemned to, uh, complete, to uh, esotericism and irrelevance. So there's a middle ground in there. Great. That's so great. To me, that's where the that's where the tension is, not a tension between commercialism or purity. Gotcha. That that's great. I really appreciate that uh, that overview. That's really helpful, and that makes a lot of sense. And um, 
kind of finally, I, I wanted to ask where you see the future of, of the work that you guys are doing there uh, going. And obviously, one of our main interests is technology and, and the younger generation of Buddhists. Both Ryan and I are in our 20s, at least for another couple months. Thank you. <laughs> Ryan will be 30 soon. And um, I, I'm sure this is on your radar, and I'm, I'm interested in hearing uh, how you guys will be engaging with, I mean, already you are. I mean, you have a website and different things online, but I'm wondering what yeah, the future it, looks it, like. Well, there's there's our future, there's the future of Buddhist media, and there's the future of the media in general. I, there, There's no doubt in my mind that paper will cease to be a widespread form of communication. The newspapers are already under serious uh, assault from electronic media. And the, the future is clearly electronic. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, as well, it offers all kinds of advantages of uh, two-way communication, of, of social, uh, social generation of content. So mm. um, we've never been particularly early adopters of things, among other things, because Generally, we're a bunch of baby boomers, and also because we don't have a lot of resources. It's not like we could ever have ever had, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to throw at the generation of a, you know, a new media operation. But I think we're now at the point where we're ready and and want to jump into uh, having a space on the web where the community of, of Shambhala Sun and Buddha Dharma readers, as well as the broader community of, uh, of practitioners in the West, uh, can really start to get you know, daily topical uh, links and information, discussion, uh, forums, and, and you know, all the things that, that really make that whole medium, your medium, so exciting. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Melvin. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or mention about this whole topic that, that you th- wasn't covered but you think is relevant? That's a rather open-ended question. Yeah, we like to leave it open at the end. (laughs) Just in case there's any other pearls of wisdom uh, waiting to to spring forth there. Well, they're not going to be mine, but I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting is that um, sitting, you know, here working on these publications concerned, I would say exclusively, uh, about the progress and growth and development of genuine Dharma in the West. Sometimes... You know, it's uh, it's possible to wonder whether things are going to work or not. Whether Buddhism might turn out, for example, to be all uh, condemned to always to be a marginal phenomenon, or you know, some sort of '60s baby boomer phenomenon. Aside from a few twenty-something weirdos like you guys, you know, <laughs> or, or the baby boomers' actual <laughs> biological children is going to uh, just turn out to be a, a one-generation wonder. And um, I, I guess I would say that just really as a matter of faith, the topic, you know, we're, we're loath to use in Buddhism, but I think we should have complete faith in the strength and integrity of the Dharma and that it will successfully be planted on Western soil. I think that in some way we can't screw it up, actually. Try as we might. <laughs> the Dharma will successfully be planted in Western soil. We will have a, 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 a profound and, and accurate and complete and great American Buddhism. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. 
This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.